like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years. Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Welcome to Tailboard Talk with Chris Rasmussen, Craig Nelson, and Jeff Wallen. Every month we explore different topics of interest to you, our cohorts in fire and emergency services. So whether you sit back and listen, sound off on the message board, or call in live to be part of the conversation, we welcome you to join us in our mission to improve the fire service for those we serve and those we serve beside. Now coming to you live from the Great White North, this is Tailboard Talk on Fire Engineering Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Tailboard Talk for Friday, January 19th. This is Jeff. And Chris. And no Craig. Craig, uh, Craig yeah. Craig's on assignment with some family business tonight, so he wasn't able to join us. Kind of last minute. Yeah. And we have a third person here, but that doesn't mean they're a fill-in. They're, they're actually a guest we planned ahead of time, which is odd for us. But yeah, that's not normal like for that. us. We, we plan something ahead. Yeah. Well, um, we haven't touched on my favorite topic yet that we always start <laughs> off the show with, so it's... Colder than the crap out here right now. <laughs> it is, and you know we've we've been we had the the month of December off, didn't we, Jeff? So, uh, without our weather reports, I had no idea what was going on outside. I know I felt completely disoriented, disconnected. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with most of my free time. Right. Um, and you're the only people I associate with, so it's really an <laughs> well, that's uh, that's sad. That's I know. Sad. So I'm so excited about being here today and doing something and getting out of the house. Yeah. So we decided to go on the road. And we're broadcasting from the West Fargo headquarters fire station tonight, or we're recording from here yeah. anyways. And uh, so since we know the weather's cold and we don't need to get much more into that, but we've met our weather obligation for talking Thanks. like old guys. Absolutely. And we're going to stop short of talking about what hurts and uh, what friends are sick and in the hospital and stuff. Um, we might as well roll into what we're looking to talk about tonight. So might as well. Yeah. So tonight we have uh, Chief Dan Fuller from the West Fargo Fire Department. Um, he is, we asked him to come to talk about the new fire station that they recently built. And you're seeing that part of that station in the background here with us tonight. And, um, we have a lot of questions for him, probably more questions than we want to get to. Um, but Dan, maybe you could start just by introducing yourself and just a quick background on, um, what you've done in the fire service and maybe what you've done here in West Fargo. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, so my background, I, I, you know, graduated high school back in 99 on the East Coast, Danvers, Massachusetts, and uh, joined the U.S. Air Force, went to uh, Texas and then to Minot, North Dakota for uh, did eight years out there active duty and then uh, joined the city fire department after I got out of the military and, and did eight years with the city, uh, made it to captain and then got hired here in 2015 as the fire chief. So uh been here for for another 8 years. Um it's been a pretty good job so far. Uh we've we've done quite a bit and and I'm sure we'll get into some of the things that we've <laughs> we've done here. I mean, I think we're probably fairly unique in both the challenges and the solutions that we found uh to providing quality fire and emergency services for our city. Sure. Yep. So uh, the city of West Fargo is strangely enough on the west side of Fargo. Um one of the suburbs uh, in the in the Fargo, Moorhead, West Fargo metropolitan area, which I think it's starting to become called now as a lot of the other cities grow up and get bigger. We've got to make the name longer and longer and longer. Um, but what what has the kind of more recent history been with the West Fargo Fire Department? Yeah. So, you know, we've, when I came in in 2015, we we're a 40 person volunteer fire department with uh, just four full timers. And you fast forward to today where, uh, you know, we've got 48 full timers. Another, uh, we're slotted for another 15 part-timers. Um, and we've obviously we built this station. We have our staff in two stations, putting 11 people on the street every day, full-time and starting to go away from the, uh, we went from volunteer to paid on call hybrid 
combination department. And mm-hmm. we're just now we're, we're starting to make that slide towards just a fully career department. If, if we can't make it up, uh, can't make your time up on the road is what we're saying. So you've got to be in the station to affect good response time. So we're, we're just making that, making that final push. Sure. Uh, and what has kind of the city's history been over the past 20 years? Uh, I'm assuming that the buildup of the fire department is in reaction to what's been going on in the city. Yep. So we've, you know, we went from a city of eight, 10,000 people, something like that back in the, you know, all the way through the nineties, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty unique situation where we had, uh, there was two communities. There was the, the village of Southwest Fargo, which is what is now the city of West Fargo, but the village of Southwest Fargo and the city of Riverside. And the only thing that separated them was main Avenue. And we were about what, eight miles from downtown Fargo. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, back then it was miles of gravel. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty remote um, area. And as the two cities matured, they kind of vied for both uh, school district and government resources. Uh, one city might have had something uh, the other city might not have had, and, and they shared resources. But when it came to the fire department, for whatever reason, it was uh, they just didn't want to have. Uh, they wanted to make sure that it was shared amongst both communities. So the you know the volunteer fire department that uh, came to be that model kind of sprung from that. But in the nineties, we had, after a series of floods in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, 91, we actually certified our flood protection for the city of West Fargo from the Cheyenne river. And that caused both cities to merge. And the city of West Fargo was kind of born as we know it today. And uh, growth just took off after that. We've been one of the fastest growing communities in the state for the last 20 years. We're just knocking on the door of 44,000 people right now. Uh, when I took over in 2015, we were 33,000. Just to show you the growth in this, the last eight years has been mm-hmm. still really, really high. And we're getting to the point now where we've, we've built out all of our land in you know, kind of a landlocked city, uh, being that we have flood protection on our west side and then the city of Fargo on our east side okay. and the city of Horace down south and, the, and Harwood to the north. Um, so now that we've kind of landlocked ourselves, we're, we're starting a, a period of infill development, big, uh, you know, six, seven, eight story uh, residential over commercial buildings. And I'm sure everyone in the country seeing pedestal construction, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the population is going up, density is going up. At some point, they're going to move those city lines and start annexing area. And, and we'll go through another growth spurt to, you know, they're estimating 60, 70,000 people in the next 15 years. Sure. Yeah. And so you, you just had one fire station. Uh, well, in 2015, had they opened up the second station yet? Yeah, we that one opened in 2011. Yeah, okay. it was treated as a substation, though. It was, it was I mean, it's pretty much like we had one fire station. Uh, you know, we weren't really, we weren't really changing the way that we probably should have. So we, we opened a second station in 2011, but that station was was considered a substation, and the the fire trucks from the first fire station had to get there call the ones from the second fire station <laughs> so that, you know, none of the response times were affected. Okay. Uh, it was still just as long as it was. But it did kind of set the stage for some future growth and some of the conversion over to career versus paid on call staff. It, it did. Yeah. We did have the resources there and, and it had been talked about since 99, 2000, about that time period. We, we started realizing we as a, as a department, and granted I wasn't here then, but that, it was inevitable that this was going to happen, but yeah. just how, how was it going to happen? But it was a lot of, you know, with change, people are worried about what they're going to give up. So there was a lot of that, you know, what am I going to give up to get, uh, get us to a career fire department? And, and it's the, you know, the Tuesday night trainings and meetings and annual meetings and picnics and barbecues and, and all that kind of stuff that, that kind of went away. Uh, it was kind of a last grasps to hold on to that. But that's quite a difficult transition, you know, and I, I, I know there's many communities out there that have volunteer departments that don't really want to give that up. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, so the transition is difficult. So you walked into a, an interesting time. Um, yeah. I'm from a neighboring department, so I watched it grow. So it's been, it's been fun to sit back and watch it. And obviously I don't know all the difficulties you had, but, uh, I think, uh, watching you guys grow is, is amazing. It's kind of fun, kind of fun to watch. Yeah. It's, it's been a good ride. I, I didn't realize what I was getting into. 
Yeah, <laughs> 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 came chief in 2015. <laughs> Didn't really get it, but uh, but wow, we've we've done quite a bit, and I think what we what we've accomplished, everyone's really proud of. So it's. It's not the old system, but it's a new system, but it, it's, I don't think there's any less pride or any less satisfaction with what we're doing for the people that actually still work here. Right. The openness to work with uh, neighboring departments uh, both ways has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's beneficial to everybody and uh, might've made the transition a little easier, maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but um, I just think that that's important, yep. especially being a young, young department starting on. It is. So we're, we're here in your conference, one of the conference rooms here at the new headquarters fire station. I'm wondering what led you, what led up to the decision to build a new facility? And we'll get more in depth about the facility as we go along. But how did this whole thing get started? So we, you know, in 2016, we, we did our first strategic plan and it was a very, very small plan that was really just done in house with the board of directors and the officers of the department, which at that time, we're the same people. So it was pretty easy to get six people <laughs> together and say, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we didn't talk to anyone on the outside. We didn't talk to anyone on the commission. We didn't talk to the community. Um, it was really just at least getting some ideas on paper. Um, we blew through those first uh, objectives within two years. It was uh, supposed to be a five-year plan. So in 2019, we went back to the table and we created both a long-term staffing and long-term facility plan. And really did look at the growth that we've already had and then the growth that we knew were coming up. Mm -hmm. And uh, what pushed us to this building is that the old building was, uh, the first part of it was built in 1940. Yeah. And then the second part was built in like 62. And the third part was built in oh, 62, 74. The fourth part was built in 81. The fifth part was built in 99, <laughs> 2000. You got your money's worth. We got our money's worth <laughs> out of it. And it, but the facility was just, it was added on to so many times that, uh, and, and for the size of building that we know we were going to need, it, the, the site didn't work and the, uh, the cost to retrofit was just, it was going to be way more than, than what we did here. It probably would have mm -hmm. been a 25 million project oh. and we only spent 18 here. Um, which is still a lot of money and I can't still, I pinch myself that they gave me that much money to actually do this. Um, but it's, it's been a crazy ride, but, um, but that's what led us up to knowing that we need a new building. We need to staff, um, staff this part of the city. And we knew we had a response time issue in, uh, our two of our planning zones because they're the most populated with the highest call volume. And it was taking us the longest to get there. All right. So it, that's what kind of pushed us to both operationally uh, reduce response times, but also to get the rest of the staff together because we were spread out between two fire stations. My, mm -hmm. my training chief was down south. My battalion chief was down south. Um, we had physical distance issues to, to working together. Sure. Okay. So uh, you kind of alluded to this, but how long ago did you start planning for the station? So that was 2019. So it was about five years ago. Um, just from concept to where we are today. Um, the, it was just a, that 2019 plan still has a joint training grounds with the city of Fargo in it. It still has a third fire station in it and um, a third, like another one beyond this one. And then uh, also a retrofit of the South fire station. Cause we hadn't done that just yet or, or finished the retrofit of that station. So when, when they built that Southern fire station, they put a second floor on it, but they left the shell. So it oh, needed mm -hmm. to be upfitted with bedrooms and bathrooms and a kitchen and stuff like that to actually accommodate 24 hours people or 24 hour staff. But I mean, it didn't even have a shower. Um, <laughs> our other building didn't never had a shower either. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of things that just those little things that when you build a, a, a fire station for a volunteer company, you don't think that you're going to need those things, but we absolutely needed them for, for full-time staff. Okay. How long did it take you to go through the planning from realizing you needed the facility to, um, you know, getting to a point where you could actually start taking action on it? I know it was about a year. So we, we wrote the plan and then we just shopped it around and just tried to get some traction, both with mm -hmm. the commissioners that we had. And also, I mean, not to throw anything else into this, but we also made a transition at that point in, in 2020. That's, that's what the 1940 to 2020. <laughs> we made sure we made 80 years. 
for the for the old department as it was before we oh. really made a transition. Uh, so we went from that uh, volunteer. When we were a volunteer company, we were an independent company contracted to the city. Um, we dissolved that and came under the umbrella of the city. Sure. So we we had to shop that plan around because that was that was a huge change because that was giving up total control. I mean, it really was mm-hmm. total control of the the firefighters who were in the department at that time were on the board. You couldn't be on the board without being on the fire department. And then the money came from the city, but you know, as chief, it was really a difficult situation. I ran into it a couple of times where you'd have a disciplinary issue or, or an operational issue you'd have to solve. But the person you're dealing with is also the president of the fire board. <laughs> okay. who's also, yeah. but just a firefighter working under you. So how do you gingerly, you know, go, right. go through that. So, mm-hmm. um, so dissolving and then coming under the city and transferring all assets and liabilities to the city. Uh, and then we actually split the rural fire department off too, because we were also, uh, Co-mingled with the rural fire department, we had a whole area from Harwood down to Horace and the um, you know, six townships. So we split the townships off, let them to stay rural, and, and we became the city fire department. Um, so we shopped around to, for 2019 to 2020, went and got the uh, this land purchased. Um, that was a very interesting process because we... I'm, I'm a fire chief. Like I knew some things I, I you know, have a master's degree. I learned some business things, but I didn't learn about real estate and how to buy property, but I had to figure it out pretty quick. Cause I was the one doing it. So mm-hmm. I bought this land um, <laughs> with the city money and uh, we, we selected the spot through, um, through a JS study of the best uh, four minute drive times of the available areas in planning zone one and two. Uh, so this was the best spot to, to affect what we needed to do. So uh, so we purchased it and then move forward from there into a year long design phase. Okay. So besides, um, your local elected officials, did you need uh, voter support for the funding for this as well too? Or how did the, where did you arrive at the financing for this? So the, the initial purchase of the property came out of reserve funds for a million dollars. Uh, and then the, uh, actual construction budget was funded, uh, two ways. Eight, it was 18.5 million. The eight and a half was from reserve funds and from some intergovernmental funds. And then the 10 million was from a, a bond. Uh, and we were able to do the bond without going to the voters. It was just the commission taking that bond for capital improvement construction. So that, that took that out of the voters' hands. We did have a voter uh, issue that we went to the, went to the public last year and asked them for a half cent sales tax. Uh, we did the project here knowing that we could full well pay the building off just with property tax funds, mm-hmm. but we still had some growth ahead of us. And, you know, the police department has growth I and mean, we all have growth right now. And it's really difficult with inflation and everything else and all the other pressures being put on the taxpayers to say that we need to fund beyond what we're doing now to make sure that we're growing to meet the demands because we don't want to get in a position to get behind again. Mm-hmm. So we went to the public and they, they voted in a half cent sales tax just for public safety. And it's generating $4 million a year. And out of that $4 million, certain amounts are going towards buying down budgets for police and fire, also capital improvement projects for police and fire and paying off the bond on this building. Okay. That's a huge selling point, especially when I talk to people in the community and they say, you built that giant building and why do you need it? Well, the justification was there that way, why we needed it, but to pay it every time, like I kind of made the joke at lunch today that we, everyone in that restaurant just paid you know, six, seven, eight cents a piece sure. to pay off our new fire station, right. mm-hmm. but it's being paid for by a sales tax. So it takes it off the, off the property tax rolls. So that's, that's helping us quite a bit. How, how long is that sales tax? Indefinite. Indefinite. Oh, nice. wow. we didn't, we did not put a set. Uh, okay. We were up against two, you know, either we do an indefinite sales tax and let it go, or we do a sunset and take a much larger bond than $10 million. Right. We would have taken, the 10 million for the station, okay. the 5 million for station three, the 5 million for station four, another 3 million for all the fire trucks to go in it, all the cop cars for the next 10 years until yeah. it sunsets. And we just would have done, done one big thing. And, and that, that seeing those numbers were, especially with the school districts here and they're asking for the same type of bonding mechanism. That's how they do it. They'll take a mil, or a hundred million dollar bond and go to the voters to pay it back. Right. Um, but they'll do all of their stuff at once. Right. And we talked about doing it that way, but yeah, this, this worked out better. 
Um, so at what point did you bring an architectural firm in where did you have somebody working with you from the beginning when you were trying to figure out what you needed or did you do work on your own and then bring them in? What did that look like? So we did, a, a, we dabbled a little work with our firm that ended up getting the, the bid process. Um, so the first thing we did is when we, we looked at this property, it's unique. It's a four acre property. It's set in a rectangle and um, about two thirds of the way through, there's a, a large utility easement that goes through. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so we could not put, um, we just can't put any building over that. So it's the parking lot. Okay. And it services, we're right in front of the Menards. So that yep. services the back part of the Menards here in, in West Fargo. So that, that limited the growth of, of how we could uh, kind of lay the building out. But I went to the architectural firm and said, hey, could we make something work here that wasn't five stories tall? Sure. For, for, for <laughs> what we need. Mm -hmm. And they roughed it out for us. And that, that helped us um, get the buy off to get this purchased. But uh, we, we then went through the North Dakota Century Code requires that if you're expending public funds like this, that you have to use um, both a uh, either a um, at-risk construction manager or a construction management advisor company. And you have to use a professional architectural company. Mm -hmm. So we, we just went down the list and we started with the architectural company. We interviewed six and uh, selected EAPC to be our final, uh, you know, they were our final uh, final selection on, on the architectural firm and then moved forward for construction management after that. And how did you decide what features you wanted to build into the building or what your needs were? Also, we, after we hired EAPC, mm -hmm. we spent a year talking uh, design and went through the whole thing, um, what we want to see in the building, um, there were, you know, you always hear these wants and needs yeah. people in the community. And did you really need that? Or did you just really want that? Right. Uh, we wanted to take that to heart. So we went through the whole thing and brought crews in and had big meetings about what you guys want to see in the building. And then we went through what's wants and needs and started, you know, shuffling all that out. Uh, we came down to needs. There's some things in here that, um, that we decided to decided to bring in that is new new technology for the fire service that we we instituted here when we felt we wanted to be ahead of the curve rather than going to retrofitting later. So we there were a couple of things that are probably a, a ahead of what some people would think should be in a fire station. Uh, but we um, we went through and just we looked at it and we I think we started with fifty two thousand square feet and we ended up with forty four thousand square feet okay. and there were pushes during the whole process to get us down to the thirty. Uh, 30,000 square foot area. And we, we really did push hard on that. There's a couple things that I kept saying, uh, you know, a, a 2023, $2022, not the same value as what a 27, $28 is going to be. Right. No mm -hmm. inflation. We know inflation is going to go up. We don't know what the cost of borrowing money is going to be in the future, but if we shortchange the building now, it might more than likely cost us more money in the long run. But it really comes down to what we could afford as a city. And, and we did find that sweet spot of what we could afford and to get everything we needed to see in the building. It really worked out well. But that was a whole year of just just doing that. So this just so the listeners are aware of this is it's it's a lot of it sounds like a lot of money. It sounds like a lot of square footage, but this is your headquarters fire station. Mm -hmm. It's not a substation. It's not this is your main station. So that kind of explains some of the square footage needs. Yeah. Um, for administration, those kind of things. Just so everyone's clear on that. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot, lot of size for a fire station, but we have, uh, and I'm sure probably one of the questions is the space that's in here, but we have a hundred person public area. Um, so we have three training rooms that get broken to 33 people a piece. Mm -hmm. So 99 people in the training area. Um, we have a big public area behind me here that um, is actually able to be locked for the administration offices and the, the uh, the crew quarters, and that's the public's area. I mean, that we we when we brought people in, we we tell them, I tell them all the time, this is your fire station. You're paying for it. This is your city. You live here. This is your fire station. Come in whenever you want. Look at whatever you want. If you ever need to use public space to have meetings, it's here. It's available. Yeah. Yep. So we've we've already had a, a lot of people come in and using it. It's it's yeah. been a very good. It it it's building a great bond between the department. And the people in the community that you wouldn't even think would want to come to a fire station and, and sit around for a day to do training, but or or a community meeting or right. anything like that. But that's what they're doing, and it's it's working out really well. 
We've seen that across the Midwest a little bit. Uh, Jeff and I have been to some meetings, software meetings, Mm -hmm. usually end up in a public safety building somewhere. So that, that was a great idea. Great idea. Yeah, it really brings a lot of ties from the community in, and it kind of maybe replaces in some aspects that community feeling you had from the the previous department that was here when it was just a small village and working into just a small town and then working into a suburban city. Yep, absolutely yeah. it did. Yep. All right. When you were doing that year of planning, um, I don't know if this is a fair question or how you can even answer, but how much of the work did was done by your staff and how much of the work was done by the architects? So it was kind of split between both uh, both groups. So we we did talk quite a bit about um, what we wanted to see in the building. Uh, but the architects really, uh, they b- did bring in a fire station specialist. And, uh, you know, we, we've been around, not around, I shouldn't say around the block, but we've been out in the, out in the, the, the country. We do spend a, a fair amount of time sending people other places to get trained and to bring it back. So uh, we have great relationships with a number of uh, cities down in the, the Minneapolis metro area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we've seen what they've been doing. So, you know, the, the decon areas, the training tower, the administration spaces, those are all ideas that we had already picked up on. But they, when they came in and, and their fire surgeon specialist said, hey, what did you think about this? Yes, we thought about that. We really want to see that happen or we want to see this happen. So it wasn't more of a sales pitch as more of a, I want, we want to see it. How do you get it done type of thing? You talk about, you talk about decon stations. Um, I'm a hazmat guy. So I always talk warm, hot, warm, cold zones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of similar to the way you're referring to. Yep. Um, we were building a station in our community too that, that has that set up also. But why was that important to you? You know, it's, some people say that the the science isn't there yet, but what we've seen so far in studies, there's there's definitely something there. Yeah. We know our environment and, and the stuff we work in is causing higher rates of cancer in in the fire service across the board, and it has been for a while. Yeah. Um, that is, I don't think there's really an argument about that. But how do you how do you try to segregate that from the crew quarters? How do you keep the people living here? to be healthy for their entire career to get to retirement. How do you do those things? Um, it just, that, that hot, warm, cold zone concept fits that. It just makes everything really just made a lot of sense to us. So, so we made sure that that was built into the system, everything from storing PPE mm-hmm. in a controlled environment so that that off gassing isn't getting into the crew quarters yep. to keeping a positive pressure out in the bay to keep those contaminants out there, to have an actual decon line with, steam showers sure so we can go in and use them and and you know it's it's one of those things though how do you prove that didn't work well or did or didn't work well i i guess we'll see in 30 years yeah, and see you tell me if it did or years didn't. Or, yeah I, I mean i don't know but yeah. if that's what makes our our firefighters happy healthier uh they stay here till retirement they know that we care about them and they are you know cancer free or at least you know they don't have major ailments and they make it to retirement and i think that's a win for everyone for the little bit of money comparison yeah. to what we did i mean it's it's more likely it's just a, the way you set your station up i mean you're not really spending that much more money it's just no. how you're setting it up and and making that a priority so yep. I, i've been kind of preaching that for many many years and uh, we've had an opportunity in my community to start doing that and uh, i'm glad you guys are doing that and i think as other people look at fire stations they should definitely be looking at that yeah keep Absolutely. keep the dirty stuff out yep keep the clean stuff there how do we get from here to here yeah, that's a discussion. It's a way to think about it, and it really is just the way it is laid out, and, yep. and what's what, how you're building that station. I may go back to my father's station. So my my dad did forty over forty years in a town, Topsfield, town of Topsfield in Massachusetts, small town, yep. six thousand people. Uh, and I grew up uh, coming into that station, and we their coffee break area was just a room on the back of the bay, and all those old diesel Detroit diesel engines before we even had climb events out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just, it smelled like diesel and coffee and you didn't think of it at the time, oh. but being exposed that's, to that for your whole career has got to, got to be pretty, pretty harmful. That's what fire stations smell like, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm glad we're starting to get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've taken that 
decon ID even a step further, there's a feature built into the dorm rooms that I haven't seen in a fire station before. And uh, maybe it's because I haven't been in some of the newest ones. But um, what did you build into the dorm rooms to kind of even take cleanliness or individualness a step further? Yep. So all of our dorm rooms are suites. So everyone has their own bathroom. And uh, it's a it's what? a good what it's a good concept. <laughs> uh, you know we, you know I want to say Grand Forks might have been the first in the state to actually I do that in Station that, yeah. Five, and okay. and so I was up in Minot when that was built, and and that was a whole thing. You know uh, the bedrooms, you could just you could seclude yourself if you really wanted to. Right. You could like live in your apartment in the fire station and not see anyone unless <laughs> you go on a call. Right. Well. That's more of a cultural thing than anything. If that those are the people you have working for you, and that's how they look at coming to work, then you got a bigger issue than whether or not you have a bathroom in your in your dorm room. Right, right. But I think, uh, yeah, yeah, that helps with several different things. Obviously, privacy, diversity, all those. You know, those are the biggest ones that we looked at. Is um, you know, we have when we were planning the building, we had eight women working on this fire department. We're down to six right now, but every shift has uh, has two. Uh, two women working full-time. Sure. So the chances that you're going to have uh, a crew that could possibly be all female at this fire department is actually pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we do that with making just individual bathrooms or gang style locker rooms or, you know, that's what we initially talked about. Do we just do one big locker room? And it always comes that if you're going to do that, well, you you make, if you have one big space for locker rooms, you make, two thirds of it for the men and a third for the women. Right. Uh, when I was in Minot, it was just one, it was one locker and one toilet and one shower for the woman's side. And then we had, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff on the men's side. So how do you, how do you balance that knowing where we're heading in the the fire service? You know, we have, uh, we're going to end up having much more, uh, more diversity in the, in the fire service. And I, I always keep preaching this to my guys, uh, my, my guys, my firefighters (laughs) that you, you need to really look at um, the, your strengths and weaknesses on a crew. And the biggest weakness we have is we all look the same, act the same, think the same. Uh, you know, when you, you bring uh, diversity onto a crew, you're a stronger crew because right. someone in that crew is looking at something way different than you are. Absolutely. More mm-hmm. than likely. So that we've been preaching that pretty hard here. And, and I think it's really taken off as we, you know, we have the most, I am accounted, but I'm pretty sure we have the most full-time firefighters in any, any department in the state right now. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure about Dickinson or Williston, um, sure. but yep. at least in this area we do. Yeah. No, yeah. And it's, it's, it's planning for that. Yep. We know and, what the future will look like. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice to have those, those sweet areas for privacy, no matter male, female. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. different uh, yep. ways of looking at it. I think it's a benefit. So it's once again, not that expensive. It's a little added cost, but, no. uh, but in the long picture or the big picture, it's, yep. And it, I, I always joke that the one thing I'm going to get hemmed up on with the station is that I, we bought 15 toilets. <laughs> Someone's going to say, why did you have to buy 15 toilets for this building? Yeah. Well, here's why. But I thought you were going to get jammed up on who's going to clean all 15 yeah. toilets every <laughs> we, single day. We've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and a lot of toilets. We hear that yeah. a lot. because our. So we haven't talked about our admin area up here, but we have 14 offices up here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're using about a, a dozen, 11, 12 of them right now. But um, as we grow, we know we're going to use them all. Um, I have a deputy chief that beats everyone to this station and he's vacuuming this floor at 6 a.m. waking the crews up downstairs. Oh. So, I mean, it's just that we still, we still have, I mean, it's such a weird dynamic because we don't have seniority. We have seniority, but we don't have seniority. We all came in at this almost the same time sure, here. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's just not that, that way. Uh, yeah. just yet. I wish we could get our deputy chiefs to vacuum once in a while. No, I shouldn't open that can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when it came down to doing the construction, then how did, how did, I know different cities and communities might do it differently, but how did your construction process work? Who took the lead and who had to manage the, the construction crews, the subs and that kind of stuff in your build? Again, I, I was, must've been sleeping when I took, they had this class and when I went to college, but it was me. So, uh, we, again, I keep saying we're unique and different, but we've had so much going on here in the city. Uh, during the course of this construction, I've been through three IT managers, three finance directors and two city administrators. Oh. So the only thing, uh, any continuity is here at this table. Um, we hired a construction management, uh, advisor firm instead of an at risk firm. So the, the only okay. real difference there is that an at risk firm, 
I, I just cut them a million dollar check every month and say, go build the building. Right. And if they find any efficiencies, they keep the money if they have any, but I'm also holding them to the fire for time. Uh, with an advisor, advisor firm, all the contracts are with the city. So we have 32 different bid um, packages and the, all those contracts are with with the city, with me as the executor on our, it kind of, it, it, it is a city administrator, but since we've had such a lack of continuity there, it's really just come down to me having to manage that part of it. But um, they all come to me and uh, I work with the construction management firm to make sure things are going on time. Um, if we ran into an issue with a contractor, it was up to me to go to legal to get them a letter saying that we're going to invoke your performance bond and kick you off the site if you don't get stuff done. So the last year and a half has been really, really, really super focused on construction management for me. It's, um, it's been tough. Yeah. That's not, you know? that's not your uh, forte. It's not, uh, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I, I've learned that we're going to do a, a at risk project the next one we do. And you know, we're, we're fixing to buy land here in a little bit to, to get the third station up and running, but that's going to be an at risk project. It's not going to be an advisor project. That would be a recommendation to absolutely people out there that, yeah. I mean, it, it's, we did save money. Sure. Like I'm, I'm You're your own general contractor kind of, I'm looking at a, I initially thought we were going to be about a million under budget. And then with change orders now, it shrunk to about a half million. And I'd say we're within a quarter to a half million under budget right now, which is, I mean, that's money and it matters. But in the grand scheme of an 18 and a half million dollar project, it's not much. Right. It's, but at least we didn't go over. And Mm -hmm. that's my, that's my biggest thing with all the, all the changes we've had and, and the people moving around and, lack of continuity and tracking and all this that we've actually been able to save that because we could have very easily just went hog wild and said these six things that we cut out we're going back in no one's here to to look to see whether or not we're doing it so let's sign the paper and we just we had the integrity not to do that there's like one major change that i've instituted as as the chief uh, on the apparatus floor painting the apparatus floor we're going to paint over the sealant we decided to come in an epoxy grind it down and epoxy under the sealant so that we don't have to repaint it for 15 years. Oh, okay. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just makes sense. So, so this is a, this is a large project. You're talking about stations three, stations four. What do you think those look like? Are there obviously a smaller scale yep. uh, facility, but still has the same, some of the wants and needs that you mm-hmm. would incorporate into it. Yeah. We're, we'll see both of those stations be just single, single company stations. Um, they'll, they'll have room for two trucks in them. It'll just be one company, five bedrooms, um, the same concepts of, uh, you know, dirty area, clean area, like separate laundries like we have here, um, suite bathrooms. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's worked out very well. So we'll, we'll keep that going through the whole thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, but those are really going to be much, much smaller buildings. Sure. Yeah. Smaller. Yeah. Um, did anything change during the scope of the construction from – when shovels first went in the ground until everything was done, uh, did you encounter anything that caused you to need to change? Yeah, there was, uh, and it was just a, a geologic thing. Is is pretty crazy. We we know there's a sand vein in this neighborhood, uh, so just up the block, uh, two blocks up, and and one block to the west is the police station, and they just built that new in 2017, yeah. 2016, 2017, and they encountered a sand vein when they were putting the basement in. And we figured we might find a sand vein here as well. Uh, we actually came in and did core samples. Uh, bef- the winter before we broke ground, we did not find any evidence of a sand vein. And as soon as we opened this thing up, we found a sand vein. So <laughs> there's a big vein of sand that goes underneath the, the southeast part of the, or the southwest part of the building. So we had to uh, do a bunch of change orders on the drainage around the foundation walls. Mm-hmm. And then um, we went from uh, one primary sump pump with a redundant uh, backup to, uh, uh, I think we put an eight-plex system in. So there's four primary sump pumps, two, uh, two in one corner, two in the other, and then two backups for those. Sure. So maybe a six that are in there right now. And, you know, they, they do run quite a bit. I mean, it's, but we're already in the, we're already in the ground. There was no way around that. I mean, we couldn't fill it back in. So, um, that was a big change, but other than that, uh, just 
for the longevity of the building, we did that. But other than that, there hasn't been any any real changes. There's been a million change orders, but it's all little things like making sure that the box here in the in this conference table is right, or right. little things here and there. Mm-hmm. Okay, it hasn't been a huge any, anything real big. Yeah, and one thing unique to our topography here is the whole Fargo Moorhead area is in a valley that used to be a glacial lake bed, and so there's very heavy clay soil. Um, and as you get out towards the edges of what had been the lake, there are a whole ridge of sand like you would have on yeah. beaches. For, but yep. yet there are periodic veins that run through this that change everything, just like areas that have bedrock and areas with voids in bedrock. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you what surprises you encountered during the process. That was one. Anything else that, whether it's in the land or when you were building something or an expectation you had that once you got into it, you realized, oh, that's not my job, it's somebody else's or... Who knows what, what kind of surprises came up during it? You know, that first, uh, so we've, when we went to bid, uh, we had several bid packages that had no bidders uh, Mm -hmm. because it was on the tail end of COVID. Uh, So, you know, we knew our construction materials were going to be high. It wasn't a good time to be building at all. But uh, if we had waited until, I mean, after COVID and the inflationary measures that kicked in, it it would have been more money. It definitely would have been. You know, when we look at the total cost per square foot for construction, we're like 377. I mean, that's that's a really good cost per square foot here. We were very economical with what we did, even though it is still a build, big building. But um, the biggest uh, biggest surprise was having contractors when they fell behind with that construction management advisor process. We had to, I mean, having to go to a lawyer and then having to get an owner of a company on the phone and tell them I am going to revoke your performance bond for for four million dollars if you don't finish this by this date. And having to be that that guy was kind of difficult. I didn't really didn't think that we would have had to do that. But we at the time when we got this project funded and set up, we had a, a I mean our finance guy was awesome. Right. I mean he was a he, he really knew what he was doing and he was going to be in my hip pocket the whole time. And then then he wasn't there. He wasn't there. So how do you, how do you feel like figure that out? So just getting through those, those are the biggest issues, but those are all just kind of germane to our local scenario here with what's happened in the last year and a half in West Fargo. About delays. um, I know we're, we're in the process of building station, but one of the first couple of things we had to order was a generator Mm -hmm. and some garage doors. Yep. We haven't even put a shovel in the ground, and we've we've already bought in garage doors. Is that what you run into yes. those same things? Yeah, we had, they had a whole list of things: they had generator, garage doors, uh, automatic transfer switches. Yeah, they're still not in yet. Oh, they're coming <laughs> in next week. So uh, there's there's some of those things, and, and those ATS switches will hold your your certificate of occupancy up if you don't have a way to switch yeah. off uh, grid power to generator and back safely. Yeah. So we had to pay an extra 20 grand to get something rigged up to, to work right. So yeah. we have a temporary switch going on in the back and it's worked fine for us, but uh, the, the primary ones come in here in the, in the next month or in the next couple of weeks, the end of the month. So it's like the 17th now. So yeah. Yeah, two weeks, it's just crazy that that's, that's what had happened, but all those things. And then the storage fees, I can't believe we got hit with a storage fee for the garage doors. We ordered yeah. them early. They got them done early. We had to pay a storage fee until we got them actually on site to get installed. Yeah. So they told you to order them early because you'll never get them. And then you got them and then paid more money to yeah. store. Sure. So just little things like that. But business. Yeah. Business. <laughs> yeah. Now I know how it goes. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think as much is going to surprise me anymore after doing <laughs> this. Yeah. So if you were to do the process all over again, what would you do differently this time? You've talked a little bit. Yeah. The, uh, there's a couple of design things that we, we, I might've done different. Uh, we, we did put a standing seam metal pitched roof over the whole building as I guess is one area that's a flat roof, but for the most part, it's all, uh, trust. Um, we, we did that because we, uh, we were told at the time that there was going to be a shortage of eye trusses mm-hmm. for flat roofs. So we had to like, it's you know just post COVID or just coming out of COVID. There's no eye trusses. What are you going to do? You got to put a standing seam metal roof on. I would have, probably went back and done a flat roof because it would have saved a little bit of cash there sure. and it wouldn't have made the building so big, so tall. But mm-hmm. uh, um, other than that, I can't, you know, we, you know, we have underground parking here and we, we, we were already going to have to excavate down to get the footings of the building in for the weight that everything is here. Um, 
because of the soils and stuff. So we, it didn't cost us much more to do that underground parking, but I, uh, I might've expanded that just a little bit more than where we're at now. Just for some extra. It doesn't cover the full footprint of no outside of the apparatus bay. Nope. Okay. No, that's about it really. Yeah. And what would you always suggest somebody else do, or what were the part of some of the successes that you'd want to make sure you replicated for the next station? Uh, trusting our architectural firm. Uh, I think we had a really good partnership with them from the beginning, even before we, we brought them in to interview them with every, everyone else, you know, uh, they're here locally. They, we, I didn't have to go very far. They're very responsive to what we need. Um, the, construction management firm the same way. We had some people that were from outside the area that could have, we, we could have went with. Um, but it's just that, that local touch. I mean, they're here, they're able to, I can call them up. They can come over. And I mean, if I called one of them right now, I, I mean, our construction management, uh, our site soup was, is here every morning. And he, I think he cares about this place more than we do. Right. He's really worked up about getting the heating just dialed in just right and getting the doors dialed in just right. And he really cares about what's going on that I don't, I don't know if we could have found two companies to work, work with better than the two that we did. Sure. I'm really, really happy with that. And so what advice would you have for other fire agencies that are, haven't started the process yet, but they're just getting ready to get into a station build or station design? You know, find out what you need. Definitely look at cutting your wants out or at least justifying what you need. If you can justify what you need and you're golden all day long, I think. Uh, make sure you get your data to back up what you're looking at. Uh, and there's always going to be people that, that say you should do it in phases or you should do it, uh, you know, only build so much now and go back and build so much later. And um, I would advise against that. I mean, we've, we've got a little bit of extra room right now, but, um, and just the grand scheme of having to come back and, and, and tear this place up again to add on to it. Like just our old building is a great example. I mean, every 10 years we're adding on to it. Yeah. It would have been better, it, you know, to just start from the beginning with what you knew you needed in the next 10 years and build it for now. Cause the cost of borrowing money in, in 10 years from now is probably going to be more right. materials are probably going to be more. You don't, no, I mean the only thing you can assume is that it's always going to be more in the future. It's never going to be, you know, cars go up. Mm -hmm. I've never paid less for a new car than I did <laughs> five years ago. So it, it's just the way things are. So uh, you know, if you you're really solid in your planning phase, and then bringing your whole department together and getting everyone to tell you what they need and get buy-in on it is really important. Because mm -hmm. if we if we had excluded them, and this, this is kind of a weird weird thing, we did exclude them. Like we brought them in for the design phase that whole year. They were sick of me asking questions, sick of all this. I'm sure they were just ready to get a shovel in the ground. But once that shovel came in the ground, they weren't allowed over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it really helped quite a bit. And I just wanted to make sure we didn't get in the contractor's way. Yeah. And then uh, a contractor didn't get five answers on, you know, what color do you want? What color do you want those garage doors? And and they could, they don't know. They just see someone in a fire department right. shirt and they're like, hey, kid, what color? Yeah. And the rookie's like, man, I think they would have looked really good in green. Oh, green? Okay, dark yeah. green or light green? That's a change order, by the way. <laughs> Next thing you know, <laughs> you're getting hit with a change order for something you didn't even want. And uh, just the, I think we were really efficient with our time by keeping everyone yeah. out of here. Although it was super hard. Everybody yeah. was so hard yeah. to keep them out. Yeah. So periodic uh, trips through the building helped quite a bit. Um, but uh, really just, the, and then if you're the fire chief doing this, um, you know, keeping everyone out after construction starts and really trying to control that process, but still letting everyone know what's happening, but also having a backup. So I came into this thinking that I wasn't going to need a backup. Yeah. And then, uh, so one of my deputy chiefs, Tom Clark, he's our professional standards deputy chief. We, I brought him in and he's in every meeting he has been for the last year. So the first six months, it was kind of tough, uh, running around and trying to get everything done and, and, and then I really realized that what happens if I were to take another job, what happens if I yeah. wanted to leave and I'm holding mm -hmm. all the institutional knowledge here on what's yeah. going on. I need a backup. It's only fair to the organization to do that. So making sure you got at least two people that are completely in the know and they have their thumbprint on everything. They, they absolutely know what's happening, but just keeping everyone else out and 
it's a, it's a fine line to walk. Yeah. You know? That's a great, great uh, advice. Definitely yep. great advice. Absolutely. Um, wouldn't have thought of that. So in the end, have you seen um, some demonstrable performance improvements from the new building being here? Yep, we have. Uh, so, you know, we've got, we, we put our crew first crew in here in the middle of October. So I've got, uh, you know, 15 days in October that, I mean, I haven't really, I don't count that as to what we, our performance indicators, because we're, we're still figuring out, there were still people running in, in and out doing construction and these guys are trying to get out to go to call. So uh, when you look at November, December, January, and you know, the, the times here are um, using averages. And when we plan, we use 90th percentile times, but yeah. we just don't have three solid months yet of 90th percentile times. But um, we're seeing our turnouts go down. Uh, our ac- actual response time, and I can just so our fire first due for this planning zone in 2022 was 516 seconds to get a truck to a call. In the last three months, it's been 264. Oh, you know, right? It big know, improvement, just yeah. below below. And you know, we were looking at we're we're using a 320 second uh, goal of of getting that first first due fire company to a scene. Uh, so just in this planning zone, it went down the adjacent planning zone. It went from 41 to 305. And then the two up North, uh, that this station is now the closest to went from, uh, the biggest gap here is in planning zone five. And it's, it's a really an industrial area with a couple small pockets of residential mm-hmm. 795 to 390. Oh, wow. So we've seen a huge improvement in, in what we've been able to do. Uh, and it actually in planning zone three where the South fire station is, it's been a staffed station for the last five years or four years. They actually have seen a reduction from 442 down to 343. And it's just that they're actually, they're not out of pocket when a call comes in. Cause we, about 630 times last year, we had more than two calls going on at once. Sure. And that's something that none of us ever thought we would have to contend with trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, if we had a busy day with two or three calls in a day, it was crazy, right. you know, back in 2015. And now we, we can handle four or five calls at once. Right. And so that really makes a difference, but everyone's where they're supposed to be. I think there's just, it's under 10 times per month where one truck has to, has to re- reposition and come into another planning area to be that first do EMS or fire truck. Okay. So it's, it's really worked well. Eventually, we're going to get beyond this. I mean, I know that uh, eventually our call volume will go up so high that we're going to have to have the third, the fourth station, you know, <clears throat> but we built the station to have an engine and a ladder. Uh, by June of this year, we'll have uh, three people on, on a ladder, two people on a squad running just EMS calls in the battalion chief. But then uh, in 25, we'll put that extra person on. So it run three and three. Okay. Three person ladder, three person engine, and a BC out of here. And that'll, that'll give us even more flexibility to handle multiple calls at once and get that. Our ERF times went way down too. Um, just having that ERF uh, in station is super important because we, we used to just run one truck to a call. And if they, they caught a working fire, they were alone for for quite a while. Yeah. 12 to 15 to 20 minutes. And now that that second due is only a couple minutes behind them. Right. And the third due is right behind them. And it's worked out really well. So it's a process, you know, obviously coming from a small town volunteer fire department to a growing, huge growing town to a full-time department. You have to make that transition. You can't, you'd love to have seven stations and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 200 people on it, but that just not, doesn't happen that way. So nope. it's been impressive to watch the transition uh, on how you've done it. So it's been great. Yeah. Thanks. It's yeah. been, it's been fun. Like I said, I did not know what I was stepping into when I <laughs> said I'd be fire chief here. Fire uh, chief, construction management. Manager. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Everything. Social worker. Financial. <laughs> <control>. yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, nice. But it's been fun. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add while you have the mic? No, that's it. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're only doing this because of the the team we have here. And that's something, you know, we had an all officers meeting today and went through some interpersonal dynamic training with our captains, our BCs, everyone who's in a write up position, our administrative staff, anyone who has more than one bugle. And, uh, and we talked about trust quite a bit. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I can say is, is trusting the team here to, to get the job done. Um, we were talking about the alerting system and how 
we get a structure fire call and, and I don't even like roll over anymore until I, I see the second alarm come up. Right. And it's great. Yeah. It really is. I never thought I'd get there in my I career. I used to. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. you were there all the time. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, nope. Um, if they don't need me, if they need me, they're going to call me. Right. right. It's a second alarm. I'll go in, but I'll let them handle it. And it really, uh, that's a great feeling. Yep. You know, it really is a great, great feeling to trust your people. They, they, they trust that I'm going to give them the resources and, and the money and everything they need to get things done around here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I trust them to get it done. It works great. The community is really thankful for what we've done here. I, I really think that they, our interactions with the community has really improved. Even though we, since we spend more money and our budget gets bigger and bigger, we get more of a target on our back from sure. certain segments of the community, but we can justify all day long why we're spending the money we're spending and what we're doing. It's really huge to have the data in your back pocket. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. Appreciate you spending some time to talk about that today and share some of your experiences you've, you've had with other folks who haven't been through all this kind of pain yet. Yep. So, uh, you know, obviously the fire service is, uh, uh, can't say brotherhood anymore, uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, mm-hmm. would you be willing to, if someone was out there listening, uh, to take some phone calls on some of the questions, not only the transition from volunteer to full-time, but building a fire station. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Great. Yep. Great. Reach out. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and also on the, uh, kind of on the terms of reaching out and sharing that knowledge, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about FDIC before we sign off because it's right around the corner, April 15th through the 20th in Indianapolis and uh, doing a little bit of, Looking online, we've talked about it in some generalities, but there is more stuff going on at FDIC and surrounding FDIC than than we're probably aware of. Uh, just some of the hot bullet points from the website, there's over 800 exhibitors, 250 speakers, 75 hot evolutions, the hands-on training that occurs uh, prior to the main session. And last year, they had over 34,000 attendees altogether in Indianapolis just attending FDIC. So... Uh, a city the size of a city on its own of people just in the fire service. And um, from years ago, I'm not sure how, if it's still done this way, but I mean, you don't have enough hotels right in downtown to accommodate it. So people in the whole area right. just working their way in every day and back out every afternoon. Um, and if that's not enough, the Metro officers innovation briefing is going on during that women in fire, the tall buildings conference, the RF summit uh, gems at FDIC, the firefighter challenge, Outdoor live demos. They had uh, the pipe and drum competitions last year. Again, I don't know if they're happening again. I've been looking for that and didn't see that. And um, really tied into what we talked about tonight in uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, they're going to be having a fire station of the future display this year where they'll, they'll have a virtual fire station set up on the floor with all of the different technological components that might go into a fire station, a lot of the innovation. They're trying to pull it all together in one simulated station in addition to all the vendors having their separate things. So I'm, it'd be really interesting to see what they do with that yeah, and see what it might mean for you. It might look a lot like West Fargo's headquarters station. Probably will. So they're building, <laughs> they're bringing a fire station into the Lucas oil stadium. Well, they say they're building the virtual fire station okay. inside there as a display. And that'll be on Thursday and Friday from 10 a.m. to 5:30 on those two exciting. particular days. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what took you so long to build a fire station. They're putting one up in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, that's pretty good timing. I want their contractor back for station three. Yeah. No, I think everyone should get out to FDIC. It's a fantastic event. I've always said there's two things a person should do in the fire service in your career is get out to the fire academy and also get out to FDIC. Um, it's, uh, I've been out there several times in my career. It's wonderful. Get to meet a bunch of people, listen to great speakers. Um, can't ask for anything more than what, what they've got going on there. Get out there and see that. Yep. Expands your mind about what's possible and what you might be able to bring back home. Yep. Exactly. Great. Hey, thanks for joining us again, Dan. You've been chief over in uh, West Fargo here since 2015 and had a lot of life experiences. Thank you for sharing them with everybody on the show tonight. Yeah. yeah thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it, chief. Yeah. And maybe Craig will be with us next time and uh, yeah, we'll talk about something new. It's his turn to buy dinner then. Oh, great. <laughs> but family uh, situations come up. So yeah. He wanted to be here. So there we go. Best wishes to Greg and his family. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. And we'll see you all in the next edition of Tailboard Talk on Fire Engineering Talk Radio. Have a good one. Yep. Thank you for listening to Tailboard Talk. Don't forget to tune in each week, Monday through Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific for Fire Engineering Talk Radio. You can also subscribe to all of our shows on iTunes. Just search for Fire Engineering Talk Radio. 
Check out our educational programs and consultation services. They're all available at tailboardconsulting.com. There you can find links to all of our shows and our magazine articles. Thanks for listening and join us again next month for another episode of Tailboard Talk on Fire Engineering Talk Radio. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics.